Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Have you heard the statement, well, I just took him at his word. I just took him at his word. You know, I, I just took them at their word. Well, now you may have been burned. You may have been hurt or disillusioned over that when someone, you just took them at their word and their word didn't prove to be any good. They weren't very reliable. And this morning, I want us to turn, we're going to take two or three Sundays to look at taking God at his word some important things for us to know in, in doing that. Um, what about the Bible? What about God's Word? Can we take God at His Word? You know, um, I dare say probably everyone here in this room has at least one Bible and maybe several. We're so blessed, aren't we? so blessed. And now, of course, we not only have our Bibles, but we have our phones and our media devices and everything that you can pull up Scripture on, which I think that's, that's wonderful. I, I just, I'm a little old school. I haven't quite gotten to where I can preach from my phone yet. Well, a lot of people do. That's, that's okay. I'll say this. You know, if you want to use this out, uh, your phone or media device out in public or even read the screen up there, that's okay. But I would encourage you to get in the habit of, of having the written word with you. Now, I don't want to sound old-fashioned with this, but there's something, I don't know, there's still something about the book, the written word. It's not magical. Uh, the word, his word that you read on, on a phone, if you, you know, you go to Scripture, it's the same word if it's the same translation. And, and that's Okay. But I will encourage you this, that when you read your Bible or study your Bible at home, it's good to use the book. Because, you know, you can, you know, you can just switch to something else very quickly on your phone. I mean, you can go off, you can go on Facebook, you can go, I mean, you can go on Google, you can just go all directions. But when you get in the book and you start down through the page and everything, it's, it's like it, it's, you can stay better focused on that. So I encourage you. Use the book. Now, um, we believe that God speaks to us today. It's always been God's heart and God's desire to speak to his creation, to communicate. He's a God who is a God of revelation. He wants to reveal himself, reveal the truth. Now, he's revealed himself, his words spoken through nature, Sometimes he even speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the prophetic word of people that uh, have the gift of prophecy or speak a word of, of, of knowledge or a prophetic word to someone. He speaks through them. He speaks through wise counsel when you're asking someone for advice and they're sharing something imparted to them from the Lord. They're sharing his word with you. He speaks to you through other people. Uh, he speaks to people sometimes through dreams and visions. Absolutely, he does. Uh, but the bedrock of all this and the foundation of hearing God's word, of it being his reliable word, always go to the scripture. Every other way that you may hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you, you gauge it by the scripture or you measure it by the scripture does it line up with the word of God if it doesn't then maybe well then you didn't hear clearly from the Lord so thank God he still speaks to us today and the the wonderful way the most uh, I think the most effective way he speaks to all of us today is through his word through the written word now let's let's ask ourselves the question today What's our attitude toward the Bible? What's, what's your attitude toward the Bible? How do you feel about the Bible? Well, some people ridicule the Bible, the scriptures. They mock, they malign, they despise it. There's always been those that have attacked and criticized 
the Bible, the Word of God. It's always, ever since we've had it. I, I love this story. I know you've probably heard it, but it's, uh, it's, it's factual, it's true. That before his death in 1778, Voltaire, which was a, an, an Enlightenment philosopher and writer, I can remember back in my college days, it was a long time ago, I can remember at Jacksonville State University, I had a professor of philosophy who oftentimes would quote from such men as Voltaire as being great men of wisdom. But look at this great man of wisdom here. Voltaire was known to be a skeptic and criticized Christianity. Here's what he predicted. He predicted that within 100 years, Christianity would no longer exist because there'd be no one that would believe it. They would completely reject it. However, and oh God, this just works in some wonderful ways and sometimes very ironic and funny, actually. Less than 50 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society was using his printing press and his house to produce stacks of Bible all across to all across Europe. You know, we see uh, people today who ridicule, who, who actually hate the word. They hate it. We don't want it. We don't want our children to read it in schools. We don't want it in public places. Some people even have sworn into Congress now that refuse to put their hand on it. There's, in our nation today in particular, there's been an all-out attack on the Scripture and ridicule as, oh, it's just, it's just men's words. It's just myth. And then some people, they don't ridicule it, but they just simply don't believe it, unbelief. They, they, they are skeptical. It's, it is just a myth. There are a lot of other books, too, and the Bible is just one of them. And so they're skeptical that this could ever really be the true Word of God. Because if you ever get it down inside that this, properly understood, led by the Holy Spirit, this is the very Word of God, then it, it will change our attitude toward it. Now, the third response sometime, a reaction to the, the Bible is to just, and this may be the worst, worse than ridicule and worse than a skeptical, uh, skepticism and doubt is there's some people that just disregard it or neglect it. And that's probably the worst of all. Those who may actually, they may actually say, yeah, I, I, I believe this book. I, I believe it is the Bible. I believe it's the Word of God that God gave to us. But they don't take it seriously at all. They just disregard it. Don't ever take any time to read it or study it. It's just there. You know, if you get in trouble or if you get, have a devotional every morning, you may go and use it. But beyond that, that's about it. There was a recent Gallup poll that said 82% of all Americans believe the Bible. Now, that was very high to me. That was a very high percentage. They said 82% of all Americans believed in the Bible as being, in some sense, the Word of God. However, half of them could not even name the four Gospels. It's just a neglect, an ignorance of the word. How life has changed, how America has changed. We think about these things in particular as we come around this time of year and the independence of our country and the founding fathers. And with the birth of this nation, the word of God was extremely central and important. In fact, if you look at our Constitution, uh, you can actually find the basis. If you look at our Bible, you can actually find the basis for our Constitution. So it's extremely important. Uh, George Washington said it's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and his Bible. John Adams, President John Adams, he, this is interesting to me. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts that were exhibited in it. He says there would be a utopia. What a paradise that would be. James Madison, President James Madison, said, Cursed be that learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. And they since changed a great deal. And Noah Webster said, Education is useless without the Bible. Now get that. 
He said, education is useless without the Bible. Every time that there's trouble in schools, every time there's a shooting, we go, we go political with it, and we go against weapons, and we go against all these other things. And what we're dealing here primarily is a spiritual problem, a vacuum that's been left because people have rejected the truth, the very Word of God. That's, the, that's what's happened. That's why I'm going to go to all these talk shows, and they say, we just, you know, we're concerned. We're trying to ask ourselves, where, where have we gone wrong? What's happened? Well, duh, I mean, it's right before your face. It's, I mean, it's there. You want to push God out of your life, you'll see the other side. Unfortunately, we've seen that over and over again. <clears throat> uh, Noel Webster said the Bible, <clears throat> he said the Bible is to be used as America's basic textbook in all fields. God's word contained in the Bible has furnished all necessary rules to direct our conduct. Think about Supreme Court and all the things that go on in the Supreme Court in this day and time. John Jay, who was the first Chief Justice of our Supreme Court, he said, The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God, and it teaches us a way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and regulate your life by its precepts. The place that the Word of God played in the lives of those early founders in the beginning of this nation. In fact, Officially, December the 4th in 1800, Congress approved both House and Senate, approved the use of the Capitol building together to worship as a church building. They had been already using it there as a church building before as a place together, but it was officially approved by the Senate 1800. It was used for worship and for prayer and for the word before it was used by our representatives. Not our leaders, our representatives. Now, let's look at Psalm 119. We're talking about, can I take God at his word? What is my attitude toward the Bible? What's my attitude toward this? In Psalm 119, verse 160 through 165, and I'm just going to just kind of scan through it. In verse 160, it says, the entirety, that means the whole thing, the entirety of your word is true, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Verse uh, 161 says, my heart stands in awe of your word. Now think about that. This is, this is, so remarkable. I, I so reverence this. It's not that I reverence the, the, the book it, itself as far as just a book or as, uh, it's not that I worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible that this contains his word. It is his word to me. And so uh, he says, my heart stands in all the word. Verse 162 says, I rejoice in the word and I find it as a great treasurer. 163 says, I love thy law. And we can, in the Old Testament, we can, we can kind of make reference to it for us today and say, I love God's word. I love your word, O Lord. And look at this uh, 165, verse 165. Those who love your instructions, those who love your word, who love your instructions, get this, have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Those who love his word have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. That's a good promise for you to reach out there and just take right now. And then get this word inside of you and love his word. So what kind of attitude are we supposed to have in Scripture? Well, certainly, as the psalmist said here, I'm supposed to have reverence for his word. Respect his word. Now, some people get a little bit legalistic with this because I've been in places where people were, you know, this, this Bible is not the one I use all the time. Now, actually, the first Bible I started using uh, and, and as a pastor just completely fall. I still have it, but it's just in pieces. It's falling apart. It's just all to pieces. This is one I use for a good while. I don't use it as often as I used to. But, you know, if they were to see a page that was marked up and colored up like this, they would be alarmed and said, the Bible. Is, is holy. It's a holy Bible. You don't write in it. You don't mark in it. Well, that's very legalistic. You know, you're not, you're not 
I don't think you're maligning the Word of God or disrespecting it just because you write in it or make notes in it. But so often we find people who just simply don't respect or honor the Word. In some churches, I've seen this happen, and we don't do that here. I don't think it's a sign of disrespect. But there's some churches that have chosen that whenever the Word is read, or this is normally when you start with a text and start the sermon with a text, that everyone in the church stands and reads it together. I think that's good. Um, so look, just because we don't do that doesn't mean we disrespect it. However, you understand that if we, uh, if we stood every time that I used Scripture during a sermon, you guys would be just popping up and down all, all the time. So, so we, we reverence the Word, we honor it, which means we should listen to it. See, uh, maybe teenagers didn't think, as kids or teenagers, we didn't think too much about it. But when we sat back in a congregation like this and we talked back and forth or used to pass notes, but now you just text or you just, you know, you got, you got a better way now. And we've had it happen here a few times. Uh, kids that sit back in the back, I might have been some adults, I just didn't catch you. But we've had young people before and they weren't paying any attention to what's going on. Well, first of all, that's disrespect to the Lord. It's, dis- it's disrespect to me, but it's, it's a disrespect of the Word of God. This is not about just somebody standing up and giving a speech. We're going to His Word, and God wants us to reverence and honor His Word. This is something we need to impart into our children at a very young age, right? Help us, Lord, to do that, uh, to reverence and respect. Another, and it's taking our attitude about the Bible, is we need to value it, to love it, to, to treasure it. I heard just recently an account of a, a man, a, he was a missionary and a, and a pastor, but he was uh, in China, and I was listening to his testimony, and he went to China, and he was, he was uh, visiting in some of the underground churches. Now, I, I've been in China, and I've been in the organized official church of China, and I've met some people who were part of an underground church, but I've never been in an underground church service. There was little trouble, some things happening that kept us from, you know, we didn't want to endanger them. But uh, he told the story of being with this, this group of, I think it's probably, I don't know, between 50 and 100 people, I guess, that are together. They're hidden away in this place, and they gathered regularly to worship. They might have to move from time to time when the word got out. But they gathered together to worship. And he came to them, and he was preaching from a particular chapter in the Bible. And as he was preaching that and going to the Scripture, he noticed that essentially, well, that no one had a Bible. So he took, he had a few Bibles. So he took and he he distributed them among the group. Unfortunately, he didn't have quite enough. But he noticed when he gave, gave the Bibles to the people that when he started reading the Scripture, one lady... One lady that was sitting there, took, sitting there took the Bible and just gave it to the young man next to her. But as he continued to read the scripture, he noticed that the woman was repeating it verbatim. And so afterwards, he went to talk to her and said, I, I noticed that you gave your Bible to the young man next to you. Yes, I, I did. Said, but I noticed you seem to know the scripture. Oh, yes, I know that chapter. I know that chapter. I know several chapters in the Bible. He said, well, that's, that's amazing. How do you do that without the Bible? She says, from time to time, there are people that will be able to bring in certain parts of the Scripture, certain chapters or verses, and they'll bring it to us and says, as quickly as we can, we take that and we learn it and we memorize it. Because we don't know that it's going to stay with us, that we can keep it. So the only way we can guarantee that we will know his word, that we will have his word, is to have it inside of us in our heart. I remember him saying that at the end of the time they were requesting prayer. And as they were, uh, as they were having uh, people talk about and pray for this, pray for that, then one, one man came to him and said, you have such liberty and freedom in America. He said, would you pray that we, the church here, would become 
like the church in America? And he said, no. But I will pray that the church in America will become like the church here. We have such liberty and freedom, but do we treasure his word? I mean, this is a serious question to ask ourselves. Uh, So we're to reverence it, respect it, we're to value it, treasure it, and we're to have confidence in it. I mean, mean, have confidence in his word that what you're reading here is true. It's thus saith the Lord. We've got confidence that it's true. I love the, the description of the Bereans. It's described in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It talks about a group of people known as the Bereans. And Paul preached the word to them. And it says that they received the word. Here's how they received it. They received the word with readiness, eagerness, and they searched the scripture daily. What a great attitude toward the word, right? Lord, I love your word. I want to read your word. I want your word in my heart. I'm eager to learn more about it. I'm going to search it. I'm going to study it every day. John Bevere said, if we were to read, if, if we were to read the word of God exactly as it is, most of us would be dramatically different. If we were to read the Word of God exactly as it is, most of us would be dramatically different. We're eager to hear it. We want to search the Scripture. So, let's ask ourselves the question, why, why, can, why, why can we know, or how can we know that we can take God at His Word? How can we know that we can take God at His Word? That this scripture is true. Just mentioned some things that are very basic but very important. And it does us good to visit this from time to time. Uh, and remind us ourselves of these things. Is first of all, we take his word, his God at his word because his word is totally reliable. His word is reliable. I want you to think about three words when I say reliable. His word is reliable. Number one, it's settled. It's fixed. Number two, it's eternal. And number three, it's unchanging. So I can take God's word because it is, I can take him at his word because it's reliable. I can count on it. It's settled, it's eternal, it's unchanging. Psalm 119 verse 89. And by the way, Psalm 119 is the longest book in the Bible and it is entirely about the Bible. It's about scripture, it's about the word of God. Verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is what? Settled in heaven. New Living Translation says, Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in the heavens. By the word settled, we're talking about something that is fixed. It is stable. It will stand. It can't be overturned. Now listen, the word of God can be doubted, but it cannot be defeated. Pause, Selah, amen, praise God. Listen, the word of God can be doubted, but the word of God can never, I'm giving you another chance, the word of God can be doubted, but the word of God can never, ever be defeated. Yeah. I I do better when y'all do that. God's word is eternal. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away or disappear. God's word is eternal. It's unchanging. The word eternal is translated from a Hebrew word that means perpetual. Unending. It's in the Old Testament, Psalm 425 times. And when you look at that and you say it's unending, it's talking about it's unending from beginning to end. It was talking about God's Word. It said it never had a beginning and it'll never have an end. I'm telling you, that's eternal. It never had a beginning and it'll never have an end. Listen, what God says has always been true. It is true now. And it will always be true in the future. It's eternal. And and listen, that remains the same for every generation. 
Just because the younger generation comes on doesn't mean that the Bible is no longer to be used or that it's outmoded or that it's changed. Generations are not supposed to change the Bible. The Bible is supposed to change generations. We, we need to see that and understand that, that we have, and the Bible gives us an objective truth. Now listen, the Bible gives us an objective truth. It gives us a standard for what's right and what's wrong. The Gallup poll or public opinions cannot change the Bible. And we're not free just to pick and choose which one we want to believe and which one we don't. Some of the, uh, some of the agendas that are out there now as far as what's facing the, the families and, and uh, as far as dealing with the issue of transgender and homosexuality. Listen, it's wrong because God's Word says it's wrong. You don't need to go into deep discussion over it, although you can. You can go to specific scripture in the Bible where God teaches this. And he declares it this way because those who move into any kind of disobedience and perversion from God's word will suffer in some respect. It does harm to them. God's way is the best way. Anything contrary to God's way will bring hurt, harm, disillusion. God gives these not to be a set of rules that's going to, to enslave someone. He gives them as his word that will set people free from those things that would enslave them. We love all the, the, the people who are going through these things, who've turned uh, in these directions. We still love them. We pray for them in every way. But we cannot sit back and just simply condone it or agree with it because the Word of God is unchanging. And He gives us His Word so that His Word can bring blessing into our lives. People who reject it bring some sort of cursing into their lives, some sort of curse. His Word is Reliable. It's eternal. It's settled. It's unchanging. Secondly, his word is infallible. I didn't say the Pope was infallible. I said his word is infallible. Technically, if you're a Roman Catholic, if the Pope speaks ex cathedra, he is speaking in such a way that when he speaks those words, it is on level ground with the inspired word of God. And it's to be accepted such. We don't believe that at all. We believe that the Bible the Scripture, God's Word, is infallible. It is from Him. Now, all translations are not infallible because there are differences in some of the translations. And people sometimes pick at that and try to criticize it by saying this is, this is a contradiction here and this is a contradiction there. Here's the important thing. The Word of God as originally given in its original language inspired by the Holy Spirit, is perfect and infallible without error. Now sometimes through translations, things have been changed. And we can't say that all of those are infallible. People say, well, how do I know which Bible to, to go to, to, to accept? Well, I, I, you know, there are several different ones that you can go to. The, the original King James is okay. Now, some people think that is still the only Bible that they worship it like it was the one that Paul used, you know, in the New Testament. But, but you know, uh, I love the King James Version. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. If you use that, some of the language is a little archaic and difficult for us to understand. But, and there's a few things in it. I mean, if you want to point out places where words, like where it uses the word Easter, when it's not the word Easter, but it's the word Passover, then, you know, then there's a little... Here, you have, to, you have to measure. You have to go through not just one translation, I think, but you have to measure this using other translations and going back as much as you can to original Greek and Hebrew. But I don't want to make this difficult or complicated. Most translations are very reliable or good for you. King James, New King James Version. Uh, some of you use the NIV. I used it for years. I've kind of moved away from that. I like the New Living Translation right now. I use the Amplified Bible a lot. There are other good ones. The New American Standard Bible is a very good one. But uh, the ones who go back, there's some that go back and translate, wor translate word by word. There are others that go back and translate meaning, meaning by meaning instead of word by word. So there's some little differences there. 
But I think you can find a good Bible that you can search, you can rely on. But God's word, as originally given, as given through men, they were directed by the Holy Spirit, is absolutely infallible, which means it has no flaw, that it has no error, that it's perfect. Now, there are those who don't believe that. And there are even professing believers who don't believe that. And those of us who believe that sometimes are accused of being ignorant and narrow-minded. But actually, if you'll go back and study, scholarship is on our side. Biblical scholarship is on the side of, of, uh, of inerrancy, which means there's no error in the Scripture as originally given. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. It's proven to be true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, you know this one. All Scripture is given by inspiration. Literally, that means all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For instruction. I heard someone say that God's Word is, is, is a weapon of mass instruction. And uh, it, there's a lot of instruction to be found in His Word. Verse 17 says that the man of God, that you have the Word, so that the man of God may be complete, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You live in translation says God uses the word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Bible's flawless. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. First Peter chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 says, no prophecy of scripture is a private interpretation. In other words, it never came from the prophet's own understanding or from the will of man by human initiative. But here's how it came. The prophecy or scripture came as holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit, literally gives us the word picture of a boat, of a ship, you will, with sails, and that the wind hits the sails and carries the ship in the direction it's go, it should be going. And it's saying that holy men of God were moved and carried about by the Holy Spirit, and God gave them His Word. They didn't, they, they were not just... Robots, they were not just dictating the word. They could not just dictate the word because you'll find when you study the scripture that people in the Bible, have, you can see their personality in the scripture in the scripture we have, in the books they wrote. You actually can see the difference between some of the New Testament epistles because you say, oh, that was written by Luke. Oh, that was written by Paul. Because you, it didn't hide their personality. But God shaped them and moved through them and gave to them the perfect Flawless Word of God. The Holy Spirit moved them. Now, I think also we ought to say thirdly that the Bible is knowable. K-N-O-W, the Bible is knowable. You can know the Scripture. You can learn it. It's important. The Bible says the Word, thy Word, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. And remember what the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, The book of the law, we'll use the word, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but shall but you'll read or meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's a tremendous promise. Was that just for Joshua? I think the principle of it applies to us today. He said, I want you to get this word inside of you. I want you to speak it. I want you to get it in your heart, in your mind. Meditate on it. And as you do this and you practice and do what the word tells you to do, he says, then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Folks, it's one thing to say you believe it's the word of God. It's another thing to really believe it. I said, it's one thing to say that you believe it's the Word of God, it's another thing to really believe it. Lord, this is for all of us. This is for me. I'm just, I'm really getting this, Lord. I need to be reminded of these things. Fourthly, the Word of God is sufficient or it's enough. The Word of God is enough. We have a more than enough God in the Scripture actually is more than enough. It's authoritative. We can trust it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is what? It's alive. It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And it does, doesn't it? Uh, the message paraphrase it does this way. Listen to this. God means what He says, and what He says goes. 
God means what he says and what he says goes. We are to take God, listen, to take God at his word requires faith. Okay? This is not just, this doesn't come just through reasoning, although I think the Bible will stand up to reasoning and to history and to research. Several people have started uh, studying or going back to try to prove the scripture was false or that it had error in it and in the process of trying to study that and go that direction to disprove the Bible, they actually have come to believe the Bible. It's happened over and over again. So, but, but to know the Word, to believe the Word, and to understand the Word, you must have faith. That's why it starts with the step of being born again. You must come to Christ, be born again, or have a new life, a new heart, your sins forgiven, and the barrier of separation between you and God is pulled down, and now you have a relationship with the Lord, so now that you can hear Him more clearly. And so, in order for you to actually, actually begin to get the Word of God in you, you need to take the first step of responding to the gospel and, and, and surrendering your life to Christ. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And by the way, the primary communicator and teacher of the Word of God to us today is the Holy Spirit. So when you study your Bible, don't just go to, uh, I mean, you can go to things on Google and you can do, there's all kinds of wonderful Bible study tools out there now. Take you all the way back to original languages, give you all kinds of commentaries. Use those things. That's fine. Study, study, study. That's fine. Now, now you can't just believe everything you read, but find a good, reliable source to study the Word. But we don't understand the Word just by intellect. In other words, you cannot clearly understand the Word by intellect. It must go beyond intellect. It must go to the Spirit or to the heart. So therefore, the Holy Spirit, when you study the Word, invite the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit as you read it to open it up to you and reveal truth to you. I'm telling you, that's just the way it works. You can know facts from a mental standpoint, from an academic standpoint. You can study and know facts, but if you really want to get the essence of the Scripture and something in a way that will, will move inside of you and change you, that must come through the Holy Spirit. That's the way the Lord communicates His Word to us as believers. So here's what we just want to remind you, that to take God's Word, it requires faith. But here's the thing that I need to couple with it. That faith is what activates the Word of God in your life. The Bible says you, without faith you can't please God. In fact, everything that we receive from God we receive by faith. So think about that just a moment. If it takes faith to believe that the Bible, that, God, that this is God's Word and I can rely on it, if it takes faith to do that, Okay, so I believe it, God. So then why isn't it working in my life? Why isn't it happening? Because the way you need to do what needs to happen now is you take your confidence and faith that this truly is the divine inspired word of God that's without error. It's reliable. It's enough. And so since I know it's enough and it applies to me today, what can I do? Here's what I can do. I can let faith be built up inside of me. And how does faith come? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as faith is developed inside you and inside of me, it activates or reaches out and appropriates and brings those promises into us and we receive and apply them in our lives. Well, that was a long sentence. Faith activates the word in your life. So what is our attitude about the Bible? What needs to happen? If I'm going to walk out, if I'm going to activate the word by faith, what needs to happen? I close out with this. At least this is my first closing. <laughs> I think it may be the only one. So what's our attitude toward the Bible? First of all, believe it. Lord, I, I believe it. I, this is your word. I, I believe it. Mark 9, 23. Remember the man with a demon-possessed son came to Jesus and cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us if you can. 
And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. How many of you have ever been in a situation, a critical situation, had things going on, a need, emergency, whatever, and you cried out in prayer, and you said, all things are possible, Lord, all things are possible, but what you were believing for didn't happen. Why? I don't know. I don't have all the answers to that. But I do know that the Bible is quite clear that when we learn to appropriate His Word and believe that it's true and settled in our heart and we get it inside of us to the place that it becomes what's real to us more than what's real around us, then when we activate it with our words, situations will change. But so often we fall short of that. We're trying to believe. We're hoping. We're wanting these to happen. Some of us have had some bad situations going on in life, and some of you are still facing those things. You say, look, it says all things are possible. And I, I, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Why isn't it happening? Well, this is a place to where bottom line is as a Christian. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the fact that it says all things are possible. It doesn't change that. So what do you do if it's not happening in your life? Well, I think you just... For one thing, you just say, Lord, you know, I don't see the results of this now. It's not happening. But I'm telling you, Lord, my faith is not based upon what I see. My faith is not based on whether everything is happening right or the way I want it to in my life. It's based on you. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to keep declaring your word. I'm not going to give up just because I have had failures in the past. Because I'm not going to give up. I'm going to give up. Because your word says that nothing is impossible to whoever believes. So Lord, help me to come to a place to where I really genuinely trust in you completely and believe. And oftentimes what happens is we have these circumstances, situations that hit us. We have crisis. We have problems. We have unexpected things to happen to us. And it hits us and we are unprepared so that our first response is fear. Our re first response is to wring our hands. Our first response is, oh God, dear God, dear God, I need your word. Dear God, I got to go pray. I got to spend more time. I got to confess your word. And we find ourselves playing catch up to try to build up the faith that's in us. God wants us to come to a place to where it's a daily place in our life to study, to meditate on His Word so that faith rises up in us and it's a part of our everyday living so that when we, when we come into situations and there's an immediate need, a, a trouble that's happening, then our first response is faith and authority in God's Word, not wring our hands or fear about what's going to happen. But let's just be honest. Most of the time we're in a place where we're really not adequately prepared for it and when it hits us, our first response is fear. And the moment we have that response, it's difficult to get back to a place of complete trust because reasoning and rationalization begins to take effect. Well, you know, and we explain away miracles. I'm convinced many of us have explained away miracles. We believe it. Secondly, we receive it. And that's the same what's very close. But you can believe the word, but you need to receive it for yourself. I believe this is the word of God, but Lord, I receive it. That's me. Lord, that word, that's me. I, I, I believe that. And the Holy Spirit will take scripture. You can be reading through a whole chapter of scripture maybe, and you're reading through, or maybe just a few verses. And as you're reading through it, all of it's true, and you're getting something from it. But at times you're reading it, and bang, there'll be something that just zeroes in on you, that stands out to you, that speaks to you, and something you're going on. And when it comes to you, listen, let me tell you, that is the Spirit of God working. That is the Word of God coming to be a rhema word to you. It's not just written word, it's rhema word. God is taking his written word and by his spirit he's making a word for you for that season. That's the word you and I need to act on. But it's hard for us to have a rhema word if we don't have any of the word in us. If we're not searching. If we're not meditating on it. So we want to receive it for ourselves. Thirdly, we need to store it. We need to store the word. We've already seen the importance of that in storing the Word of God. Get it down and meditate on it. Get it to where you can, you, I'm not looking at just strict memorization, but where you can, where you store it down inside of you. Next, say it. One of the biggest things that gets us in trouble in our life is our mouth. 
better amen. amen. Our mouth gets us in trouble. Not only do we say the wrong, it's not that we say wrong or bad things, although that happens, but it's that we don't say the right thing. And what do I mean by the right thing? I'm saying we don't say what God says. When you encounter a situation, a problem, or you're going through something, find out what God says about it and say that. Well, I don't know where that's, that's really, I don't really feel that right now. I'm not that. Say it anyway, because his word is true. Say it, confess it. You got to confess the word. And the word confess in the scripture comes from a Greek word, which means to agree with. And so when you are saying the word of God, you're saying, I agree with what you say, God about my situation. I agree with what you say about me. I agree with what you say about these circumstances. Not what I see, not what I feel, not what someone else has told me, not what the doctors told me, not what I feel. I believe what you say. And that's not denying that trouble comes. That's not denying that there's problems. That not, it's not sticking our head in the sand and saying, I'm just going to pretend that I don't have any trouble. No, there's trouble in this world. There's sickness. Christians face that kind of stuff. I'm just saying God wants us to get us to a place where we can rise above it, where we can be healed from it, delivered from it, and walk in true faith. Exclamation point. Absolutely. And then... We, don't, we believe it, we receive it, we store it, we say it, and we act on it. Faith is an action word. You can't just talk about faith. Faith comes, you need to do something about it. We're not simply to hear the word, we're to do it. Someone said, you know, building their faith, they said the word of God uh, will help you to take your training wheels off your faith. And I think that's a good picture that some people, Christians, they're like on these little bicycles and they got these training wheels, try to prop them up. And they're saying, you build faith up in you where you don't need those training wheels anymore. You get to where you can, where you can confess that word and you can act it out. You can move in what God says to do. This is not my second closing, but it's part B of my first closing. I'm going to go to just one account, and that is uh, from John chapter 4, verse 48 through 53. And this is just the story. It's, it's a great, it's not a story in a sense, it's make-believe. This is an actual historical fact of where there was a government official, a nobleman that, that uh, heard that Jesus was, had returned, from, had gone from Galilee to Cana, city of Cana. And so the nobleman went there, which I think was about a 10-mile journey, which is probably seven or eight hours that he traveled. He heard Jesus was there. And the nobleman's son was extremely ill, was dying. And so he came there to find Jesus. He found him and he begged him to come. He said, come heal my son. He's dying. And Jesus answered. Jesus didn't always pat you on the back and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I, my heart hurts with you here, here. Jesus didn't always say, all right, right, I'm coming right now. He didn't always say that. You know, sometimes his response is a proving time and a testing time to just help us really move in faith. Well, here's what happened. Jesus asked, he says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? How many of you here believe in miraculous signs and wonders for today? How many of you believe in miraculous signs and wonders today? Sorry, I forgot to raise my hand. I, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> I do. I believe it. Why don't we see more miracles today? Should we see more miracles today? Now, understand that we do not live by sight or feeling. We live by faith. I think there's times that God does, does amazing things in certain locations. You know, you hear about revivals in this location and miracles happening over here. I think that God in some way sovereignly does that, maybe because the people have been praying and seeing him. I don't have the explanations. But, you know, you look and see all these things happening over there and say, Lord, here we are, here we are over here. Why isn't, it, why isn't it happening right here? So I say... You have to get out of your doubt there because when you ask the question, why isn't it happening, you're not in faith. Yeah. 
So, and I've gone places before where there were great revivals and everything, experienced wonderful things. I'm not opposed to that. But unfortunately, some Christians get to the place to where that's where their faith is, is in people, in experiences, in miracles. And they go running to and fro and everything for the, a particular word or event or something to happen. And, and I'm not criticizing them. It's okay. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't say we chase miracles. It says miracles follow us. Signs and wonders follow us. We don't follow them. Signs and wonders follow us. Wherever we are as believers, we should be experiencing these sort of things. Now, they may be different than what's happening somewhere else, and that's okay. But thank God for miracles. Well, anyway, Jesus said, are you only going to believe if you can see some kind of miraculous sign and wonder? Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, he didn't give up. He wasn't discouraged. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now. Please come now before my little boy dies. That's desperation. I mean, we'd all, we'd all probably be right there in that same place. Verse 50, then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. There are different times in our life where the Lord has spoken to us and symbolically has said, go back home. It's taken care of. Don't worry about it. It's taken care of. But we're still, no, no Lord, I, I don't see any change. I don't know what's happening. I need you to come with me. I need you to be with me. You know, what an amazing event here. Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, if he hadn't believed, it would have been very difficult to turn around and go back home. You would have stayed as long as you need to to see if somehow you could have convinced Jesus to go. But he took Jesus at his word. And when he took him at his word, he turned, he went back home. And while he was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he said, well, when did this happen? And they replied, yesterday afternoon about 1 o'clock, the fever suddenly disappeared. And the father realized that that was exactly the same time that Jesus told him, your son will live. And the result was that he and his entire household believed on Jesus as their Savior, as the Messiah. So I think it's a good thing for you and I to, to evaluate and check up on what our attitude is toward the Bible. How, how, how do you feel about this? Do, do you really believe it's the Word of God? If it is the Word of God, and it is, but if it is the Word of God, then am I, am I reacting? Am I, is my attitude toward it the way it should be? Do I reverence it? Do I love it? Do I believe it? Do I trust it? Do I treasure it? After all, if it's the Word of God, isn't it valuable? Isn't this more valuable than silver and gold? Isn't this more valuable than anything you have? Just think about that for a moment. When I think about that moment, I think, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I have so, so ignored that I've taken it so lightly, Lord, forgive me. I want now to establish a new reverence for God's word and a new commitment to love his word and to get it down inside of me because Listen, you go to the Word of God, you find what it says about you and about your situation, and you declare that Word, you accept that as being true, and then you get to a place of receiving. You see, when God says you do this and you'll be saved, you can take Him at His Word. When I say, if you'll surrender your life to Christ, believe on Him as your Savior, ask God to forgive your sins, and give your life to him that your sins will be forgiven. They're forgiven at that point, And you have uh, a home in heaven. You are now a brand new person. If I say that, it's not enough. But if I say it because I'm saying what God says, that's enough. Which means if you believe that, his word, that was good. He was good for his word. He was good. 
You could accept his word and do what he says and you know you're saved. Healing. This is what the word of God says about healing. He sent his word and healed them, the Old Testament scripture says, that there's power in the word that, that Jesus is the healer today, that miracles still do happen, but he is the creator and the restorer of our body, that he works through uh, professional people, through doctors, and, other, and wonderful, that's wonderful. But he ultimately is the healer. And so if you need healing in your life, can you take God at his word that he'll heal you? Can you take God's word that he'll deal with the problems you're facing right now in your life? Tough times you're going through? Are you willing to take God's word that maybe things didn't turn out exactly like you want them to, but God's going to turn that situation around. He's going to bring restoration into your home and your family. Can you take God's word that he said that he would lead you and he'd guide you? He'll put you at the right place at the right time, connect you with the right people. Can you receive God's word that he'll give you the wisdom that you need? Can you receive God's word? Can you trust it? Can you trust that when you go to his word and you find these promises that they are yours because they are his word? Yes, we can. We can. Thank you, Father. Let's stand. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the power of your word today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, here's what I want us to do. But now, by the way, please, I'll remind you, but please always know, if there's something going on in your life, your family or something that you need special prayer for, I'd be glad you come forward as we are, as the music playing. Come down to the front here. I'd be glad to pray with you. And anyway, there's other folks here that would be glad to come up and, uh, and join with you to pray for you about any situation. Always know that that's available to you. It's not only available at the end of the service, it's available from the time you walk in the door of this building. If you feel God impressing you to come, to call out to him for anything, there'll be people connect with you and pray with you. But I really sense the main focus this morning would be on God to, to restore in us the, 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 the sense, the reality, the fact that he has given us his precious word he has given us the scripture that we can completely believe, receive, that we can trust it, that we can, Lord, say it, that we can act on it, and that, Lord, your word is completely reliable. Now, I don't know what any of you are going through right now. I don't know what you're praying for or praying about, but here's just a word of encouragement to you. I just want to tell you this morning that you can take God at his word. Whatever he's promised or whatever, be it to you according to your faith, you can take God's word. You can trust him. Don't worry about it. Rest. Find comfort in him. Before I go, I'd like to pray for any specific needs here if, if, in, in relation to the word of God. If you want to say, Pastor, you know, I'm, this morning I've been reminded of just how precious the word of God is. And I've really kind of taken it too lightly. I'm not, I'm not really, Lord, honored your word. I've not really believed your word the way I should and the way I know I can. Lord, renew in me a deeper desire to study your word. Renew in me, put in me, Lord, a hunger to learn, to study, to grow. Make that word come alive in me this morning and from this day forth Lord God stir something inside of me that will restore the love of the word in my heart and that I'll treasure it I'll reverence it and I'll treasure it and Lord as the word becomes more and more part of my life then God you're going to do amazing things amazing things if that's your prayer if that's your prayer your desire this morning would you lift your hand this morning I want to just say I agree with you yes all over the building yes amen just hold your hand up there. Father, this morning is a declaration. We lift our hands to say, Lord, that's me. That's me. Lord, I've recognized this morning through your word that I've taken, I've taken the scripture too lightly. Lord, that I've not honored you the way I should and how I've, Lord, spent my time 
and the, the way I've been distracted from your word, that I've not taken you at your word, but Lord, I've lived more by my emotions or circumstances. Lord, I pray that every person with hands uplifted right now, that you will set their hearts on fire, that God, you will stir up inside of them, that even though it may be difficult, it's kind of a discipline for a while, that they will commit themselves, Lord, to begin to, to partake of your word, just like we hunger thirst and we take meals that we, Lord, we desire to eat. Lord, help us to have that desire to eat your word and Lord, to feed upon your truths. I thank you for each one here this morning. Believe for your blessings upon them. God, as they go from this place, Lord, that you will prosper them as they seek after you, Lord. And God, that your word will work inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a good praise offering this morning. Thank you, Lord.